Hello? Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Hey. It's Chris. Uh, this is uh, a little awkward because it's been a while. I read half a book and then it's been at least a couple months since I sat down and read, so it's whatever. But, uh, hi. I'm back. I don't know if you can hear it, but the, the crickets are chirping. The grass is being watered. It's a good time. Real good time. We are reading The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson. Clayson? Something like that. Um, chapter 7, it's called The Walls of Babylon, that's the chapter title, and welcome to Who Knows, we're just going to get right into it. Old Banzar, grim warrior of another day, stood guard at the passageway leading to the top of the ancient walls of Babylon. Up above, valiant defenders were battling to hold the walls. Upon them depended the future existence of this great city with its hundreds of thousands of citizens. Over the walls came the roar of the attacking armies, the yelling of many men, the trampling of thousands of horses, the deafening boom of the battering rams pounding on the bronze gates. In the street behind the gate lounged the spearmen, waiting to defend the entrance should the gates give way. They were but few for the task. The main armies of Babylon were their king, far away in the cast on the great expedition against the Elamites. No attack upon the city have, having been anticipated during their absence, the defending forces were small. Unexpectedly, from the north, bore down the mighty armies of the Assyrians. And now the walls was hold, or Babylon was doomed. About Banzar were great crowds of citizens, white-faced and terrified, eagerly seeking news of the battle. With hushed awe, they viewed the stream of wounded and dead being carried or led out of the passageway. Here was the crucial point of attack. After three days of circling about the city, the enemy had suddenly thrown his great strength against this section and this gate. The defenders from the top of the wall fought off the climbing platforms and the scaling ladders of the attackers with arrows, burning oil, and, if any reached the top, spears. Against the defenders, thousands of the enemy's archers poured a deadly barrage, barrage of arrows. Old Banzar had the vantage point for news. He was closest to the conflict and first to hear of each fresh repulse of the frenzied attackers. An elderly merchant crowded close to him, his palsied hands quivering. Tell me, tell me, he pleaded. They cannot get in. My sons are with the good king. There is no one to protect my old wife, my goods. They will steal all. My food, they will leave nothing. We are old, too old to defend ourselves, too old for slaves. We shall starve, we shall die. Tell me they cannot get in. Calm thyself, good merchant, the guard responded. The walls of Babylon are strong. Go back to the bazaar and tell your wife that the walls will protect you and all of your possessions as safely as they protect the rich treasures of the king. Keep close to the walls, lest the arrows flying over strike you. A woman with a babe in arms took the old man's place as he withdrew. Sergeant, 
What news from the top? Tell me truly that I may reassure my poor husband. He lies with fever from this terrible wound, yet insists upon his armor and his spear to protect me, who am with child. Terrible, he says, will be the vengeful lust of our enemies should they break in. Be thou of good heart, thou mother that is, and is again to be. The walls of Babylon will protect you and your babes. They are high and strong. Hear ye not the yells of our valiant defenders as they empty the cauldrons of burning oil upon the ladder scalers. Yes, that do I hear, and also the roar of the battering rams that do hammer at our gates. Back to thy husband. Tell him the gates are strong and, and withstand the rams. Also that the scalers climb the walls but to receive the waiting spear thrust. Watch thy way and hasten behind your buildings. Banzar stepped aside to clear the passage for heavily armed reinforcements. As with clanking bronze shields and heavy tread, they tramped by. A small girl plucked at his girdle. Tell me, please, soldier, are we safe? She pleaded. I hear the awful noises. I see the men all bleeding. I am so frightened. What will become of our family, of my mother, little brother, and the baby? The grim old campaigner blinked his eyes and thrust forward his chin as he beheld the child. Be not afraid, little one, he reassured her. The walls of Babylon will protect you and mother and little brother and the baby. It was for the safety of such as you that the good queen Semiramis built them over a hundred years ago. Never have they been broken through. Go back and tell your mother and little brother and the baby that the walls of Babylon will protect them and they need have no fear. Day after day, old Banzar stood at his post and watched the reinforcements file up the passageway, there to stay and fight until, wounded or dead, they came down once more. Around him, unceasingly, crowded the throngs of frightened citizens eagerly seeking to learn if the walls would hold. To all he gave his answer with the fine dignity of an old soldier. The walls of Babylon will protect you. For three weeks and five days, the attack wage was scarcely, with scarcely ceasing violence. Harder and grimmer set the jaw of Banzar as the passage behind, wet with the blood of many wounded, was churned into mud by the never-ceasing streams of men passing up and staggering down. Each day the slaughtered attackers piled up in heaps before the wall. Each night they were carried back and buried by their comrades. Upon the fifth night of the fourth week, the clamor without diminished. Dimin Upon the fifth night of the fourth week, the clamor without diminished. The first streaks of daylight, illuminating the plains, disclosed great clouds of dust raised by the retreating armies. A mighty shout went up from the defenders. There was no mistaking its meaning. It was repeated by the waiting troops behind the walls. It was echoed by the citizens upon the streets. It swept over the city with the violence of a storm. People rushed from the houses. The streets were jammed with the throbbing mob. The pent-up fear of weeks found an outlet in the wild chorus of joy. From the top of the high tower of the Temple of Bell burst forth the flames of victory. Skyward floated the column of blue smoke to carry the message far and wide. The walls of Babylon had once again repulsed a mighty and vicious foe determined to loot her rich treasures and to ravish and enslave her citizens. Babylon endured century after century because it was fully protected. It could not afford to be otherwise. The walls of Babylon were an outstanding example of man's need and desire for protection. This desire is inherent in the human race. It is just as strong today as it ever was, but we have developed broader and better plans to accomplish the same purpose. In this day, behind the impregnable walls of insurance, savings accounts, and dependable investments, 
We can guard ourselves against the unexpected tragedies that may enter any door and seat themselves before any fireside. We cannot afford to be without adequate protection. That's the lesson for chapter 7. And since that was such a short chapter, let's go into chapter 8. The Camel Trader of Babylon. The hungrier one becomes, the clearer one's mind works. Also the more sensitive one becomes to the odors of food. Tarkad, the sons of Azur, certainly thought so. For two whole days he had tasted no food except two small figs purloined from over the wall of a garden. Not another could he grab before the angry woman rushed forth and chased him down the street. Her shrill cries were still ringing in his ears as he walked through the marketplace. They helped him to retrain his restless fingers from snatching the tempting fruits from the baskets of the market women. Never before had he realized how much food was brought to the markets of Babylon and how good it smelled. Leaving the market, he walked across to the inn and paced back and forth in front of the eating house. Perhaps here he might meet someone he knew, someone from whom he could borrow a copper that would gain him a smile from the unfriendly keeper of the inn, and with it a liberal helping. Without the copper, he knew all too well how unwelcome he would be. In his abstraction, he unexpectedly found himself face to face with the one man he wished most to avoid, the tall, bony figure of the Basir, the camel trader. Of all the friends and others from whom he had borrowed small sums, the Dabasir made him feel the most uncomfortable because of his failure to keep his promises to repay promptly. Dabasir's face lighted up at the sight of him. Ha! Tis Tarkad, just the one I have been seeking, that he might repay the two pieces of copper which I lent him a moon ago. Also the piece of silver which I lent to him before that. We are well met. I can make good use of the coins this very day. What say, boy? What say? Tarkad stuttered and his face flushed. He had not in his empty stomach to nerve him to argue with the outspoken Dabasir. I am sorry, very sorry, he mumbled weakly, but this day I have neither the copper nor the silver which, with which I could repay. Then get it, Debesir insisted. Surely thou canst get a hold of a few coppers and a piece of silver to repay my generosity of an old friend of thy father who aided thee whence thou wast in need. Tis because ill fortune does pursue me that I cannot pay. Ill fortune? Wouldst thou... Wouldst blame the gods for thine own weakness? Ill fortune per pursues every man who thinks more of borrowing than of repaying. Come with me, boy, while I eat. I am hungry, and I would tell thee a tell. Tarkad flinched from the brutal frankness of a dabasir, but here at least was an invitation to enter the coveted doorway of the eating house. Dabasir pushed him to a far corner of the room where they seated themselves upon small rugs. When Kauskor, the proprietor, appeared smiling, Dabasir addressed him with his usual freedom. Fat lizard of the desert, bring to me a leg of the goat, brown with much moot juice and bread and all of the vegetables, for I am hungry and want much food. Do not forget my friend here. Bring to him a jug of water. Have it cooled, for the day is hot. Tarkad's heart sank. Must he sit here and drink water while he watched this man devour an entire goat leg? He said nothing. He thought of nothing he could say. Dabasir, however, knew no such thing as silence. Smiling and waving his hand good-naturedly to the other customers, all of whom knew him, he continued. 
I did hear from a traveler just returned from Urfa of a certain rich man who has a piece of stone cut so thin that one can look through it. He put it in the window of his house to keep out the rains. It is yellow, so this traveler does relate, and he was permitted to look through it, and all the outside world looks strange and not like it really is. What say you to that, Tarkad? Thinkest all the world could look to a man a different color from what it is? I dare say, responded the youth, much more interested in the fat leg of goat placed before Debasir. Well, I know it to be true, for I myself have seen the world all of di a different color from what it really is, and the tale I am about to tell relates how I came to see it in its right color once more. Debasir will tell a tale, whispered a neighboring diner to his neighbor, and dragged his rug close. Other diners brought their food and crowded in a semicircle. They crunched noisily in the ears of Tarkod and bro brushed him with their meaty bones. He alone was without food. Dabasir did not offer to share with him nor even motion to him a small corner of the hard bread that was broken off and had fallen from the platter on the floor. The tale that I am about to tell, began Dabasir, pausing to bite a godly chunk from the goat leg relates to my early life and how I came to be a camel trader. Did anyone know that I once was a slave in Syria? A murmur of surprise ran through the audience to which Dabasir listened with satisfaction. When I was a young man, continued Dabasir after another vicious onslaught on the goat leg, I learned the trade of my father, the making of saddles. I worked with him in his shop and took to myself a wife. Being young and not greatly skilled, I could earn but little just enough to support my excellent wife in a modest way. I craved good things which I could not afford. Soon I found that the shopkeepers would trust me to pay later even though I could not pay at the time. Being young and without experience, I did not know that he who spends more than he earns is sowing the winds of needless self-indulgence, from which he is sure to reap the whirlwinds of trouble and humiliation. So I indulged my whims for fine raiment and bought luxuries for my good wife and our home beyond our means. I paid as I could, and for a while all went well, but in time I discovered I could not use my earnings both to live upon and to pay my debts. Creditors began to pursue me, pursue me to pay for my extravagant purchases, and my life became miserable. I borrowed from my friends, but could not repay them either. Things went from bad to worse. My wife returned to her father, and I decided to leave Babylon and seek another city where a young man might have better chances. For two years... I had a restless and unsuccessful life working for caravan traders. From this I fell in with a set of likable robbers who scoured the desert for unarmed caravans. Such deeds were unworthy of the son of my father, but I was seeing the world through a colored stone and did not realize to what degradation I had fallen. We met with success on our first trip, capturing a rich haul of gold and silks and valuable merchandise. This loot we took to Guinea and squandered. The second time we were not so fortunate. Just after we had made our capture, we were attacked by the spearsmen of a native chief to whom the caravans paid for protection. Our two leaders were killed, and the rest of us were taken to Damascus, where we were stripped of our clothing and sold as slaves. I was purchased for two pieces of silver by a Syrian desert chief. With my hair shorn and but a loincloth to wear, I was not so different from the other slaves. Being a reckless youth, I thought it merely an adventure until my master took me before his four wives and told them they could not they could have me for a eunuch. Then, indeed, did I realize the hopelessness of my situation. These men of the desert were fierce and warlike. I was subject to their will, 
without weapons or means of escape. Fearful I stood as those four women looked me over. I wondered if I could expect pity from them. Sira, the first wife, was older than the others. Her face was impassive as she looked upon me. I turned from her with little consolation. The next was a contemptuous beauty who gazed at me as indifferently as if I had been a worm of the earth. The two younger ones tittered as though it were all an exciting joke. It seemed an age that I stood waiting the sentence. Each woman appeared willing for the others to decide. Finally, Sira spoke up in a cold voice. Of eunuchs we have plenty, but of camel tenders we have a few, and they are worthless lot. Even this day I would visit my mother who is sick with a fever, and there is no slave I would trust to lead my camel. Ask the slave if he can lead a camel. My master thereupon questioned me, What know, of you? What know you of camels? Striving to concern, conceal my eagerness, I replied, I can make them kneel, I can load them, I can lead them on long trips without tiring. If need be, I can repair their trappings. The slave speaks forward enough, observed my master. If thou so desire, Sira, take this man for thy camel tender. So I was turned over to Sira, and that day I led her camel upon a long journey to her sick mother. I took the occasion to thank her for her intercession, and also to tell her that I was not a slave by birth, but the son of a free man, an honorable saddle maker of Babylon. I also told her much of my story. Her comments were disconcerting to me, and I pondered much afterwards on what she said. How can you call yourself a free man when your weakness has brought you to this? If a man has in himself the soul of a slave, will he not become one no matter what his birth, even as water seeks its level? If a man has within him the soul of a free man, will he not become respected and honored in his own city in spite of his misfortune? For over a year I was a slave and lived with the slaves, but I could not become as one of them. One day Sira asked me, in the evening t in the event time when the other slaves can mingle and enjoy the society of each other, why dost thou sit in thy tent alone? To which I responded, I am pondering what you have said to me. I wonder if I have the soul of a slave. I cannot join them, so I must sit apart. I too must sit apart, she confided. My dowry was large, and my lord married me because of it, yet he does not desire me. What every woman longs for is to be desired. Because of this, and because I am barren and have neither son nor daughter, I must sit apart. Were I a man, I would rather die than be such a slave, but the conventions of our tribe make slaves of women. What think thou of me by this time? I asked her suddenly. Have I the soul of a man, or have I the soul of a slave? Have you a desire to repay the just debts you owe in Babylon? She parried. Yes, I have the desire, but I see no way. If thou contentedly let the years slip by and make no effort to repay, then thou hast but the contemptible soul of a slave. No man is otherwise who cannot respect himself, and no man can respect himself who does not repay honest debts. But what can I do who am a slave in Syria? Stay a slave in Syria, thou weakling. I am not a weakling, I denied hotly. Then prove it. How? Does not thy great king fight his enemies in every way he can and with every force he has. Thy debts are thy enemies. They ran thee out of Babylon. You left them alone and they grew too strong for thee. Hadst fought them as a man, thou couldst have conquered them and been one honored among the townspeople. But thou had not the soul to fight them, and behold thy pride has gone down until thou art a slave in Syria. 
Much I thought over her unkind accusations and many defensive phrases I worded to prove myself not a slave at heart, but I was not to have the chance to use them. Three days later, the maid of Sira took me to her mistress. My mother is again very sick, she said. Saddle two of the best camels in my husband's herd. Tie on water skins and saddlebags for a long journey. The maid will give thee food at the kitchen tent. I packed the camels, wondering much at the quantity of provisions the maid provided, for the mother dwelt less than a day's journey away. The maid rode the, cam the rear camel, which followed, and I led the camel of my mistress. When we reached her mother's house, it was just dark. Sira dismissed the maid and said to me, Dabasir, thou hast the soul of a free man or the soul of a slave? The soul of a free man, I insisted. Now is thy chance to prove it. Thy master hath imbibed deeply, and his chiefs are in a stupor. Take then these camels, and make thy escape. Here in this bag is raiment of thy masters dis to disguise thee. I will say thou stole the camels and ran away while I visited my sick mother. Thou hast the soul of a queen, I told her. Much do I wish that I might lead the thee to happiness. Happiness, she responded, awaits not the runaway wife who seeks it in far lands amongst strange people. Go thy own way, and may, may the gods of the desert protect thee, for the way is far and barren of food or water. I needed no further urging, but thanked her warmly, and was away into the night. I knew not the strange country, and had only a dim idea of the direction in which lay Babylon, but struck out bravely across the desert, desert toward the hills. One camel I rode, and the other I led. All that night I traveled, all, and all the next day, urged on by the knowledge of the terrible fate that was meted out to slaves who stole their master's property and tried to escape. Late that afternoon I reached a rough country as uninhabitable as the desert. The sharp rocks bruised the feet of my faithful camels, and soon they were pricking their way, picking their way slowly and painfully along. I met another man. I met neither man nor beast and could well understand why they shunned this inhospitable land. It was such a journey from then on as a few men lived to tell of. Day after day we plodded along. Food and water gave out. The heat of the sun was merciless. At the end of the ninth day I slid from the back of my mount with the feeling that I was too weak to ever remount and I would surely die lost in this abandoned country. I stretched out upon the ground and slept, not walking until the first gleam of daylight not waking until the first gleam of daylight. I sat up and looked about me. There was a coolness in the morning air. My camels lay dejected not far away. About me was a vast waste of broken country, covered with rock and sand and thorny things. No sign of water, not to eat for man or camel. Could it be that in this peaceful quiet I faced my end? My mind was clearer than it had ever been before. My body now seemed of little importance. My parched and bleeding lips, my dry and swollen tongue, my empty stomach, all had lost their supreme agonies the day before. I looked across into the uninviting distance, and once again came to me the question, have I the soul of a slave or the soul of a free man? Then with clearness, I realized that if I had the soul of a slave, I should give up, lie down in the desert, and die, a fitting end for a runaway slave. But if I had the soul of a free man, what then? Surely I would force my way back to Babylon and repay the people who had trusted me, bring happiness to my wife who truly loved me, and bring, in, and bring peace and contentment to my parents. Thy debts are thine enemies who have run thee out of Babylon, Sirah had said. Yes, it was so. Why had I refused to stand my ground like a man? 
Why had I permitted my wife to go back to her father? Then a strange thing happened. All the world seemed to be of a different color as though I had been looking at it through a colored stone which had suddenly been removed. Now at last I saw the true values in life. Die in the desert, not I. With the new vision, I saw the things that I must do. First, I would go back to Babylon and face every man to whom I owed an unpaid debt. I should tell them that after years of wandering and misfortune, I had come back to pay my debts as far as the gods would permit. Next, I should make a home for my wife and become a citizen of whom my parents should be proud. My debts were my enemies, but the men I owe, but the men I owed were my friends, for they had trusted me and believed in me. I staggered weakly to my feet. What mattered, what mattered hunger? What mattered thirst? They were but incidents on the road to Babylon. Within me surged the soul of a free man going back to conquer his enemies and reward his friends. I thrilled with the great resolve. The glazed eyes of my camels brightened at the new note in my husky voice. With great effort, after many attempts, they gained their feet. With pitiful perseverance, they pushed on toward the north where something within me said we would find Babylon. We found water. We passed into a more fertile, fertile country where grass and fruit were. We found the trail to Babylon because the soul of a free man looks at life as a series of problems to be solved and solves them, while the soul of a slave whines, what can I do who am but a slave? How about thee, Tarkad? Does thy empty stomach make thy head exceedingly clear? Art ready to take the road that leads back to self-respect? Canst thou see the world in its true color? Hast thou the desire to pay thy honest debts? however many they may be, and once again be a man respected in Babylon. Moisture came to the eyes of the youth. He rose eagerly to his knees. Thou hast shown me a vision. Already I feel the soul of a free man surge within me. But how fared you upon your return? Questioned an interested listener. Where the determination is, the way can be found, Dabasir replied. I now had the, re the determination, so I set out to find a way. First, I visited every man to whom I was indebted and begged his indulgence until I could earn that with which to repay. Most of them met me gladly. Several revealed to me, sev several reveled me, but others offered to help me. One, indeed, did give me the very help I needed. It was Mathon, the gold lender. Learning that I had just been a camel tender in Syria, he sent me to the old Nebuchadnezzar, the camel trader, just commissioned by our good king to purchase many herds of sound camels for the great expedition. With him, my knowledge of camels I put to good use. Gradually, I was able to repay every copper and every piece of silver. Then at last I could hold up my head and feel that I was an honorable man among men. Again, Dabasir turned to his food. Kausker, thou snail, he called loudly to be heard in the kitchen. The food is cold. Bring me more meat fresh from the roasting. Bring thou also a very large portion for Tarkad, the son of my old friend who is hungry and shall eat with me. So ended the tale of Dabasir, the camel trader of old Babylon. He found his own soul when he realized a great truth, a truth that had been known and used by wise men long before his time. It has led men of all ages out of difficulties and into success, and it will continue to do so for those who have the wisdom to understand its magic power. It is for any man to use who reads these lines. Where the determination is, the way can be found.